welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, and with me, I have a guest who you guys all say that I'm a busy podcaster, but this guy makes me look like the lazy dog uh, that I am. He is the uh, co host of three different podcasts, and we're going to get into all those. But when I sent him the list of albums I was reviewing, he said, If you do not choose me for Long Cold Winter, you are dead to me. And I felt such a heat wave coming off of that, such fierceness that I had to invite him on. Here he is, guys, Corey Morissette. Corey, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. It wasn't under any pressure or threat at all that no, uh, not that at you're all. here. <laughs> I am very laid back, yeah. I, I'm glad you took that in the spirit that it was intended, which was if you didn't pick me for this album, you were dead to me. So I'm glad that that, that came through. Fortunately, at this time where you live, it's too cold for you to actually take action. But, you know, spring's around the corner. I tell uh, you what, it's a long, cold winter uh, up here. Like you had asked me, like, you know, when does winter start? You know, oh, I don't know, September. When does winter end? Like May, sometimes <laughs> June. Like it, right. it's literally a long, cold winter. It's like on South Park when they say we have two seasons, winter and July. You know, we call it winter and row construction. Those are our <laughs> two seasons up here. Yes, the the season of orange cones and then the season where you can't see anything. Exactly. So you've got three awesome shows, uh, Backtracks Theme Music, where you talk about different uh, pieces of music related to film. Uh, you guys really, you and, and uh, John Mariano really get into some deep topics with these films, like very well researched, which I am so bad at. Um, I, I love the way the show comes together and your your back and forth between each other is, is really enjoyable. But how do you guys just, do you just say, hey, I'd like to do this movie and the other one's like, no. And then you're like, we're doing it anyway. Pretty much. Uh, you, you said, well, research. We don't research anything. It's just, uh, hey, you want to uh, record tonight? Sure. All right, pick a movie. Uh, I haven't seen that one. That's okay. We'll do it anyway. Or uh, sometimes, like I know John's had a couple in the hopper, like he really wanted to do nine to five. Mm -hmm. He's like, we got to do that one. Uh, one that's coming up here uh it'll probably be uh, already dropped by the time this show airs but uh, he loves smallville so he really wanted to do the theme uh, to smallville but yeah i knew the first show i wanted to do uh tiny dancer from almost famous because that's one of my favorite movies but yeah we just pick a movie we love and pick a song from it uh usually john's watching a movie with his girls and he'll text me watching stepbrothers we got to do hollow notes I'm like <laughs> all right tell me when i'll be there and, and then we bring on guests like yourself and you get to bring on uh you know, because everybody has like a favorite movie or a favorite song from a movie. And what I love about that show, it's it's so varied. We're not like just uh, stifled by having just one artist or, or anything. We can reach out and do Dolly Parton 9 to 5 and then do Huey Lewis in the News, The Power of Love from Back to the Future. And then do uh, You're the Best uh, mm -hmm. from Karate Kid, things like that. So mm -hmm. it's probably my, my favorite show because... Uh, it's very varied and nobody listens to it. So there's no pressure. <laughs> and it's so, but and it's just a relaxed, enjoyable review. There's really nothing to fight over. There's just, you know, it's just a, for the love of what you're doing. Uh, I really enjoyed when we did Bob and Doug McKenzie's 12 days of Christmas, even though that oh, yes. wasn't actually from a movie. And I don't, did they actually perform that on SCTV? I thought it was just the album. It was just the album. Yeah. We, we kind of, we kind of cheated a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but Bob and Doug were staples on SCTV. Yeah. And uh, I, I told the story on the show. It was basically just a middle finger to the CRTC here in Canada when they said, your show's not Canadian enough. So they said, what, you want us to sit on a set, uh, eating back bacon, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes with toques on our heads, talking about, you know, whatever. And so that's what they did. And they would record like a dozen of them on a Saturday and then just drop them in a show mm -hmm. uh, as a filler. And then that turned into a number one album here in Canada and the 12 Days of Christmas, which is still played to this day 
nice. Christmas time up here uh, in the Great White North. And we still play uh, Take Off from that album here and there with Getty Lee from Rush. Uh, Gotta love it. A lot of fun. Um, now, your uh, one of your other shows is called And the Podcast Will Rock, which you do with uh, with our good friend Mark Kameyer, which is a Van Halen podcast. Man, that's that's got to be a tough one to do because there's so many, uh, you know, just aggressive attitudes about who's better than who in that band. And uh, it seems to be one that people really like to fight over. It, this band is is one that people really like to fight over. You, you got the staunch Dave supporters and the Sammy side. They're a little more mellow, the Sammy side. They don't pick on the Dave side as much, but the Dave supporters are just, uh, at, they're almost like Metallica fans, right? Like Metallica, you know, stopped being a band for me after and Justice for All. It's like once Dave left Van Halen, they were dead to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they're they're angry about it. And actually, our, our next live show coming up here in January, we're getting the DLR cast hosts and the Sammy podcast host, the Bogus Otis show, on the same show. And we're going to spin a Dave song and a Sammy song, and we're going to duke it out. And Eric Senich from the Van Halen News Desk is going to help us referee. But we're, we're hoping to build a bridge and, and show people that, you know, you may be a, a Dave guy, but Sammy had good stuff, too, and, and vice versa. Let's, let's build a bridge and try and get some love in this fan base because, man. A lot of angry, angry people listen to Van Halen, and, and we've heard, I think, from a lot of them. Uh, there's still more out there, but please don't email me uh, or, or don't uh, tweet at me or anything. But If you're angry, just keep it to yourself. But uh, that was the one big surprising thing was uh, once people started listening to the show is just how angry they are about this band. <laughs> yeah, and I think Eric will be a great referee on that one. Uh, I get the same thing on your Right Heaps the Magicians podcast. I get so many people that are like, well, you know, after David Byron left the band, um, the, Uriah Heap ended. I'm like, they he was in the band actually a very short time compared to Bernie, who's been in the band for more than half of their existence now. And uh, I, I don't understand the the unwillingness to accept that life has changes in it and bands experiment. They change their style. They try to do different things and they have different members that influence things. And uh, I, I, that's why I wanted to do the show with a, a song by song thing. And let's just listen to the song and judge the song. You either like it, you don't, you like this part, you don't instead of, well, here's what was going on in the band at the time. And, you know, here's who wrote this, or here's who did this solo. People really seem mm-hmm. to get caught up in things that just take away from the music for me. Oh, the minutia. Like, and you get one little thing wrong and, and they jump down your throat. And I really don't care. Like to me, the magic in a show like that where you're deep diving is what is your opinion on the song? Right. And uh, I, I think that people who listen to our show with Mark and I, they like our rapport mm-hmm. and they like, you know, hearing Mark's perspective from uh, a musician side about what he likes about the song. And I'm also there. Uh, if you want, like, just uh, brain did minutia, like there's books and there's different things you, you can kind of go to. And, and normally these people know all these things, but they feel the need to, like, reach out and let you know how stupid you are because you got something wrong. Whereas I really don't care. I, I'm just more interested in the music and rediscovering the catalog. That's the kind of show I like. I don't want to hear, well, you know, what, what kind of pickups was he using on that guitar? What kind of strings? What time of day was it when they cut that? Like, none of that really matters to me. And nobody really knows for sure anyway. You weren't in the room with them. You're just going by what you heard from somebody else who could also be wrong. So yeah, and and I I get that people want to be a part of it. I, I can appreciate that, but it's it, it to me like I told somebody recently who had complained on the and the podcast will rock about our our December live show was right. um you know it's it's not about whether you uh, have something of value to contribute or not. It's all in how you approach it. And he had even said in one of his tweets, he he said, uh, well, I saw that people were complaining and I wanted to be a part of that. I'm like, well, right there, you're you're just saying, hey, I'm a dick and I'm just yeah. trying to make things difficult. And if that's what you want to be a part of, I'm not going to take anything you do seriously 
from that point on. Exactly. And I, I mentioned on the show too, like if you want to come out and correct me on something, absolutely go right ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm a grown up. I can take it. But if you want to do it in a passive aggressive style and, and just be a dick about it, then just go away. Like nobody needs that. Exactly. And your third show, uh, you started without me. And uh, that's how I found you. And then uh, now I'm a co-host of it, which is Backtracks that's Aerosmith right. Revisited. I love doing this show with you guys. You and John are so much fun to work with. I'll, I'll never be able to thank you enough for bringing me on. Uh, I was a guest on a couple episodes. And then during the second one, we said, hey, let's just make this permanent. And I think like two hours later, it was. Well, we were missing something. Uh, you know, John is John. And I'm also there. But we don't have like a musician who who can kind of like chime in and talk a little more expertly on the music. So when you were on, it's like, well, this fits really well. Like the, the three of us have a good rapport going in and you bring that side uh, to the, to the show that we don't, uh, you know, John brings the, the grumpy side and I bring the, on their side. And now we have somebody who brings uh, actual musical knowledge to really kind of route it out. Cause we're going to be doing that for like three or 400 shows. Yeah. It, it's a long haul on that one. It's a big catalog. So it, it can't just be like two guys saying, yeah, I like that. You know, you, we, we want to offer a little bit more. So that's where you come in. So you've got the toughest job on the show. And I'm so glad we locked you into that 10-year contract because <laughs> it might take all 10 years to get it done. Well, I'm sure uh, by the time we're halfway through, there's going to be another 12 or 13 live albums that come out that we're going to have to, uh, you know, talk about covering. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoy it. it. It's a lot of fun because I can, a lot of these are first time listens for me. So I don't come in with a huge amount of preconceived notion or knowledge about the band. And I can really just listen to the song and take it for what it is. With them, I do like to know a little bit of the history because some of their uh, time frames you could tell in the music that they're really disconnected and, and other times they seem mm -hmm. really together. So I, I do get curious about that. But apart from that, it's it's nice to just listen to a song for the first time and go, okay, here's what I like and here's what I think works and here's what doesn't please me. And then we vote on what makes it onto our, our various versions of the mixtape to make the ultimate tape. And uh, yeah, it's a good time. And I love that perspective too, when it's a first time listen, because that's what interests me. I don't want to hear from a guy who's heard it 200 times and, and can just get into the the brain dead minutia of it. And, and you know, that, that that's kind of dull uh, for me personally, if you're into that sort of thing, great. Uh, but for me, I, I like it more somebody who I like and I can relate to listening to a song for the first time saying, Hey, Oh, this was really cool when they did that. And to me that that's much more entertaining. So there's just another dimension that Scott Haskin brings. So Yay. basically what I'm hearing is I can retire and Scott and John could just take the, <laughs> take the Aerosmith show uh, to new heights. Well, I still need you to edit. Uh, okay. And you make I'll, a, I'll do that. And for you me. make a great moderator, by the way. Uh, you know, I, I, I find that, uh, I don't know if they do this in, in your area, but here, uh, my local grocery store every year or two, uh, they'll rearrange the entire store and the reason, and that's a big undertaking, but the reason that they do it is because they want people to stop coming in with their list and just going to the spots where they know everything is and just getting those items and not having seeing impulse buys or going, Oh, I didn't know you carried that. They, they want you to hunt and pack. So I, I kind of feel like that same thing happens musically. We get so used to a song that our ears just pick up certain things. We don't hear the nuances or maybe forgot about little things in the song. And uh, we're just going for that list of things that our ears hear. No, that's a great point. And I've heard these songs a lot of times. John's heard. Mm -hmm. He's kind of in the middle. And you at the first time listen, I, I, it makes kind of an interesting dynamic. So um, having a lot of fun on that show. Uh, hopefully more people will hop on the train uh, with us here. we got some diehards who say they're going to stick with us for every single song. And uh, we got some good ones coming up. So, yeah. 
Yep, it, it is a, a fun show and uh, ever changing as it is. It's a, a lot of fun. Uh, so today we're here to talk about the album uh, Long Cold Winter by Cinderella. This one uh, was their second release, and it has gone double platinum twice and platinum once, one platinum once. Uh, pretty amazing for a band's second effort. And I have to say, this is a very solid album. It is solid, like top to bottom. And so is their debut, actually, uh, Night Songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that came out in 86. Uh, this was only two years later. Uh, written on the road by Tom Kiefer, uh, only like uh, like you said, uh, and before Night Songs. I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, but look it up on YouTube. Cinderella did a Pat's Chili's Dog commercial back in 1983. Really? And yeah, they do a jingle for Pat's Chili Dog. It, it's on YouTube. I, I can even send you the link. It's it's wonderful. It's, wow. it's like the first thing Cinderella ever did. It's Eric Brittingham and uh, Tom Kiefer. And I'm not sure the other two fellows in the band. It might be the guys that actually went off to form Britney Fox after. But mm-hmm. uh, So they went from that to Night Songs and touring with Bon Jovi and all that to now Long Cold Winter, uh, which had some some big hits on it. But uh, to me, it, it was a real, it was a step up uh, from, from Night Songs. And then with uh, kind of a, transition album that would take them to what would become their third uh album heartbreak station but for me 1988 i was all about cinderella and uh, long cold winter i love this record and and i have to say this is another band uh much like poison that i kind of just took a look at and blew off i'm like all right so they've got the hair the makeup i know what they're going for and just really didn't think much about them until i was driving to work one day i was working at burger king that's how exciting my life was at the time and um i heard coming home and I thought, this is a really good song. Who is this? And I saw it with Cinderella. I'm like, wow, okay, so my bad. I'll I'll take that one. You know, even even then I was an adult, though I was working, you know, frying up onion rings. Uh <laughs> and, and I went back and, and I got the album and I listened to it and I had heard uh Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone. And I thought, wow, this is another really good song. The singer has such a unique voice that it it borderlines on that. I could I could get really sick of this sound song after song, but much like Na- older Nazareth, there's something about it that just works, and it's actually not annoying. You're absolutely right, and uh, like I, I mentioned in the Patch Chili Dogs, two of the guys in early Cinderella went off and formed a band called Britney Fox, mm-hmm. and their lead singer was uh, Dizzy Dean Davidson, I think was his name. Mm-hmm. He's got the most annoying screechy, like he's really trying way too hard. He's, he sounds like a cat getting caught in a combine. It's terrible. But Tom Kiefer, uh, it sounds almost effortless. Now, he would have all these voice problems, actually, on the Heartbreak uh, City, or the Heartbreak, uh, what the heck was that? Heartbreak Station <laughs> Tour. There, I got it out. Um, a partial paralysis in his vocal cord. Oh. And doctors told him he'd never sing again. Wow. So he had to do a lot of research and a lot of, or a, lot of re- a lot of rehab and a lot of surgery and stuff mm-hmm. before he could sing again. But, you know, singing like that uh, takes a toll. And he sings in his actual uh, singing voice on a few songs on Heartbreak Station. Uh, not so much on this album. He's doing the, you know, the, the, the kind of, I don't even know how you would describe that kind of singing style. It, it's almost like a, like he's playing a character. You're like like it's, yeah. it's not his natural voice. It's like a, a falsetto of sorts. Yeah, and, and that was all the rage uh, in, in the late 1980s, right? Like I mentioned, Britney Fox. There's other bands too where you can kind of, uh, even uh, Steven Tyler on the Aerosmith first album, he didn't sing in his real voice. Right. He, he was trying to sound uh, like something different. So, uh, but yeah, it, it sounds effortless, but it took a real toll on Tom Kiefer. He's still singing today. Thankfully mm-hmm. was able to get over that and he still sounds great, Good. but uh, he's really sounding, I think, tremendous on this record. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. I have to wonder what his touring life was like uh, 
if he was training that hard to, you know, that that's only going to last so long. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, well, I can't say that because, uh, ACDC may go back out on the road. Who knows? But, you know, yeah. pretty long career uh, from 1980 to when did they stop? I guess he was, uh, when did he leave the road there? About 2018, somewhere in there. So wasn't that pretty good ago, long yeah. live career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but you know, some people just have those natural abilities, even if they're not singing in their natural voice, their, their, their physical makeup allows for it you know, mm-hmm. to, to work. Uh, I do want to ask your opinion on the album cover because I... <laughs> I don't get it. I, I I don't know if you can see this. You probably know what it looks like. Um, it's just a, a white. I mean, I guess if it's like a whiteout, the long cold winter, it's just like blizzard with with zero visibility is the concept. Uh, I love the font of of both the album and the band title. Um, but I and and I love the the you know uh, wash purple. But mm-hmm. I I mean, who just looked at that and went, oh God, that's it. I, I kind of liked it because yeah. it wasn't like one of my most hated album covers of all time is Poison Look with the Cat Dragged in because mm. they are just, it's just four squares with the band in it and they're yeah. making kissy lips and winking. And I hate that horse shit. Whereas I come from Canada, right? So I'm, I'm used to whiteout conditions. So <laughs> you're going to give me an album called Long Cold Winter and it's an all white cover. I'm down. There you go. And yeah. my, my favorite movie is This Is Spinal Tap, and they had an all black album cover, right? So true. I, I, I kind of got that parallel too. So and so did Metallica uh, with with the little tiny snake in the corner that you could barely that's right. see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I yeah, that's fair. I guess uh, because this was an era where album cover design was such a huge thing, uh, except for the bands that copped out, like Poison with the four squares. There was a lot of that as well. Yeah. But it just seemed like like album art was such a big thing, and then I saw this, and I'm like, I. It it didn't. I would have thought more, but if you think about how how straightforward the album is, it kind of fits metaphorically too. Yeah, and they're trying something different, and they're trying something different uh, musically too. They're kind of getting away from that uh, glad metal '80s sound with like the big booming snare and and kind of the the thin guitars. Even though the guitars are a little thin on this one too, mm-hmm. it's not a complete step away, but it, it's a half step. Yeah. And, and maybe they're kind of thumbing their nose at, you know, the big, uh, you know, painted up covers like uh, Warrant, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich, or Trickster had a big painted cover, right. uh, you know, pretty much anything by Iron Maiden or or Dawkins or anything like that. So I kind of like that aspect of it, too. Like, they're going that way. Mm-hmm. Let's go this way. You know, they weren't the L.A. Uh, strip uh, club scene band, right? You know, they came from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, bon Jovi found them and, and put them on the road and, and kind of got them going. And they were never part of that that glam metal scene. Uh, I don't even really categorize them as hair metal, even though their hair was was teased up a little bit uh, on the Night Songs album cover. But there's even the lyric, who's to care if I grow my hair to the sky? Uh, yeah. I, I just never quite equated them with, with the poisons or, or the faster pussycats of the world. And and I can't speak about the hair because there was one time in my life where I could have walked onto the set of a White Snake video and no one would have even noticed me. <laughs> oh, would you have been the Tawny Katane writhing on the car? I might have been if the money was there. <laughs> you know, but I certainly had the hair for it uh, back at the time. We need to get a GoFundMe going to see if we can get that now. Yeah, grow it back. it'd be nice and gray now, but I I could probably do it. <laughs> you know, just push on my back like the Play-Doh Fun Factory and uh, give me a couple of months. I, I just want to see you writhing on a car with uh, David Coverdale uh, in the driver's seat. <laughs> I would do it. I would do it. Uh, so uh, this album features, as, as you said, Tom Kiefer on vocals. He also plays various instruments on the album as well. 
we have uh, Jeff Labar on guitar, stunning guitarist. Uh, I really like a lot of his solos on this record. Uh, we have Eric Bitt Bittingham on bass and, of course, Fred Corey on drums and a little bit of percussion that we hear on the album as well. Uh, before we get into the songs, I'm, I'm going to say, as I listened back to this album today, it didn't really hit me, and I don't think it would have had I not been part of Aerosmith uh, Revisited, is that there are a lot of similarities to Aerosmith with this band. There really are, uh, but I should mention one thing. It's not Fred Corey on this album. Oh, it's not? It's not. I, he didn't play on the first two uh, Cinderella albums. This is actually Cozy Powell for most of the tracks. No. And uh, Denny, Denny Carmassi on uh, Second Wind, I believe, was the track he was on. But yeah, it's it's Cozy Powell for the majority of these songs. I had no idea. That yep. is amazing. And I feel really shitty now because Cozy is one of my favorite <laughs> drummers. Uh <laughs> I I had the the credits had Fred Corey. I wonder did he maybe do the tour? Because he, he did, did do the, the tour. Yeah. What happened was uh, they brought him on for the Night Songs tour, mm -hmm. and he did that tour. And they went into the studio with them. I was just reading a, an interview with uh, Tom Kiefer, and he said uh, they ran into some uh, inexperience issues with Fred Curry. He was still pretty young mm -hmm. in 1988, uh, so they brought in Cozy Powell to play on the record. But Fred did the tour, and then Fred played on the third album, Heartbreak Station. But, yeah, it's Cozy Powell on nine tracks, and then uh, Denny Carmassi on uh, Second Wind. Wow. Well, they screwed up the credits because even in in the CD booklet, it had Fred Corey. Yep. Yeah, he's listed as being in there, but he doesn't actually play on it. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to listen to these songs with uh, with a new set of ears then. <laughs> you know, and, and the interesting thing is, as great of a drummer as Cozy Powell was, if you listen to an album like Rainbow Rising or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some like Tilt, one of his solo albums, where you really see what this guy can do. A lot of the albums that he was on, he was just a very solid drummer, not doing a lot of drum fills. Um playing mostly kick and snare and hi-hat with the occasional ride or the occasional tom. But most of the time, he could have gone into the studio without any toms and recorded the album for the way he played them. And it's really interesting, uh, like Down to Earth from Rainbow. And I talked to Graham Bonnet about this, you know, when when uh, when I was at his house. And and uh, he he was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's very, very straightforward as a drummer for, you know, what what the capabilities he actually had. Absolutely. And uh, showcased well on here. I know one of my favorite uh, drum intros is on the track, Take Me Back. Mm -hmm. Whenever I sit behind my kid, I got a cowbell on it. And I'm always playing the intro to Take Me Back with, doo, 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 with the cowbell in there. And I, I love that song. But yeah, Cozy Powell, I thought, knocked it out of the park on this record. And then uh, Fred Curry kind of grew as a musician on this tour, playing the Cozy Powell parts mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, became a, a great drummer in his own right. Well, I mean, what you, there's not too many better teachers that you could follow than, uh, okay, how did, how did Cozy play that? All right. I see what he yeah. did there and, you know, really learning from that. And, you know, we're, we're, you can't go wrong with that. That's for sure. Uh, Absolutely. So our first uh, our first track on the album, which, well, I'll get your opinion on, on my feelings afterward, but let's play a little bit of Bad Seamstress Blues, our album opener. Thank you. 
I'm going to skip ahead uh, a little bit in the song because this kind of goes on for a while. But the the first thing that comes to mind when I hear this is it's very reminiscent of Hangman Jury minus some crickets. And, yeah, and some, no, that's and a good slapping. comparison. That came out the year before. And, uh, you know, Cinderella was always kind of considered Aerosmith light. Uh, so I, I definitely get that comparison. Always kind of mm-hmm. reminded me a little bit, too, of uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin from uh, from Warrant right around this era, too. Hmm. Good call. It it just seemed for for what the rest of this album is, it seems a little um, light to kick off an album that uh, has a lot of rock and roll on it. I guess I, I guess the question I would have is, what were they trying to define themselves as on this album? Were they a pop band? Were they rock? Were they going for a folk feeling with with some aggression? Yeah, I would say all that. <laughs> yeah, they they. I, from what I can uh, understand, uh, Tom Kiefer wanted to kind of step away from that classic 80s uh, glam metal, hair metal sound. And, and so th- this is maybe another step in that direction. I'm just going to play this little blues riff that I kind of came up with uh, on my acoustic guitar, you know, throw a little blues uh, lyrics in there, uh, sings that kind of more in his own voice than he does in the Cinderella voice. You know, it's kind of, you know, because that obviously he's obviously heavily, in, excuse me, heavily influenced from country, from folk uh, and from blues, obviously. And then we're going to take that. Then we're going to kick into the hard rock and uh, falling apart at the seams. I thought this was a great album and opener just because it was something different. Uh, normally, you know, this time you're picking up a CD in 1988 or a cassette tape. It's good. You know, it's the single is usually like the first track on the album. Uh, so, you you know, I pop this and I'm going, oh, well, you know, what the heck is this? This is something different. It's a mood setter. And then they kind of completely kick the door down and mm-hmm. and you get back into some hard charging rock. So to me, it worked. Interesting. Let's listen to uh, to it where it kicks in a little more. Love the guitar sound on this. Yes. And absolutely love it. I'm so glad you brought up Jeff Labar because I think he's kind of the unsung hero in a lot of ways of Cinderella. Everyone talks about Tom Kiefer. Obviously, he wrote all the music, wrote the lyrics, uh, plays slide, plays lead, plays piano. Uh, but Jeff Labar, unfortunately, no longer with us. But he was really an unsung hero of Cinderella. And his, like you uh, mentioned earlier, his his solos on this record are fantastic. Yeah, they really are. And and he plays, it, it just feels so smooth and natural. You know, he he's very smooth as a player. I don't feel like he's rushing to get from one place to another and cutting off a note to get to the next note. Um, and, and that might be indicative of the writing as well. But uh, it certainly played with a, a very experienced set of hands. Yes. And uh, not very experienced around this time in 1988. I'm, I don't quite remember what Jeff Labar's uh, uh, history was before coming into Cinderella. He wasn't the original guitar player. Uh, but um, kind of like when Fred Curry joined uh, as well, it was it kind of completed the unit. And uh, to me, you know, it's obviously the best lineup of Cinderella, the one that endured, uh, even though it's not Fred on the album. Uh, the subsequent tour and Heartbreak Station are, are complete standouts and a really tight four piece, I thought. And I have to wonder if Jimmy Page wasn't an influence for him, because I kind of sense some some of Jimmy's style in the more acoustical parts. Uh, Jimmy was an influence on everyone. Uh, if you're, uh, <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> especially if you're a rhythm and blues based uh, guitar player, uh, you're obviously looking at Led Zeppelin, right? So, yeah, uh, huge for that. 
the the other thing that uh, kind of struck me about this song that that was a little bit odd was it 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 ends with that concert ending, and I I had wondered if maybe this wouldn't have been a better song to end the album with to get away from the the harder edge of it to uh, to to drop back to that you know slide guitar and then have the big concert ending at the end making you go okay I want an encore and just start the album over again. I, I can see that point. A, I really like the uh, album closer in Take Me Back. It, even just the lyric, Take Me Back, is like, Take Me Back to what you just listened on the rest of the record, to me, uh, thematically mm -hmm. kind of worked. But to me, this is like when yeah. you go to a concert, especially in the late 80s, and a band comes out with a hard charging rock or like falling apart at the seams, they do the big uh, concert ending, and then it segues right into the big hit. And the big hit for this right. record is the next song. So that we go from that big outro of, of falling apart at the seams into Gypsy Road, to me, that's chef's kiss. You can't get any better than that. Yeah, I that I, I do agree that it does have uh, it, there are things about it that work. Um, I guess when I when I start a new album, I tend to think of the opening defining the album. Like, is this going to be an ass kick and rock hard album? Is it going to be something more mellow? Is it going to be in between? And I, I usually like to have a almost like uh, the opening uh, couple sentences of a book, you know, where it's supposed to really set the tone. And I think this sets almost uh, the first minute of it, because that part does go on a little bit long. Um, it, it really sets uh, your expectation incorrectly, which can also be cool, you know, at times that, that, that misdirection. But I'm thinking, OK, am I going to like this album? Because I thought they were a hard rock band, you know, kind of thing. Uh, obviously, you find out quickly that they're that they're that this isn't so much of a folk album, but it does have some good influences. So I guess. It, uh, it does paint part of the picture. Yep. And maybe Bad Streamstress Blues goes on a little bit too long. Uh, like, like you said, because it's okay to kind of have a little, uh, almost like the beginning of uh, Poison's uh, Flesh and Blood album. They do these little uh, acoustic guitar interludes and stuff. There's always like a little thing. Uh, Pump had some yeah. little interludes before the song. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin had a little interlude uh, before that one kicked in. So uh, I, I'll concede the point that maybe they could have trimmed that up a little bit. Uh, but uh, for me, and because I'm now, you know, how many years removed from hearing this for the first time, uh, right. I, I don't even really remember what I thought the first time I hear it. Now it's just second nature that you get a little uh, slide guitar and some bad seamstress blues before Let's Go Boys and the drums and the guitars kick in and it's ready to rock. Right. Whereas Shania Twain will just come in with a little violin and then the Let's yeah. Go Girls and then the whole <laughs> song kicks in. Uh, but this song is five minutes and 20 seconds, which for an album opener is kind of long. But I mean, over a minute of that is just that intro. Yeah. So I, I think uh, maybe they could have trimmed it down a little bit because that's for an opening track. I think three and a half, four minutes is pretty good. You know, you kind of you get the gist of it. You want to start hearing something else. But I, I will say the song keeps my attention. Um, I think it's very well performed. Um, it, it's overall, it's a good song. I agree. I, I really I really love this song. I love the intro. Bad Seems Just Blues gets a thumbs up and so does uh, Falling Apart. The Seams. I think it's a great album opener. 